you got to be careful. You got to look at your surroundings and know the market, but also have many, many, many exit strategies as well. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that will teach you how to grow your wealth without buying yourself another job. Today, we're here with Chad Hudson. Chad is a real estate investor who's had a really interesting journey, and we're going to talk about his journey and his experience and what we can all learn from him. He is the owner of Savoy Companies, and he builds custom homes. And he's gone from owning his own portfolio and self-managing his own portfolio of investment properties to passively investing in syndicated real estate deals to now actively and passively investing in syndicated real estate deals all throughout the southeast part of the United States. So it's going to be a great conversation. So uh, without further ado, let's get to it. Chad, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Taylor, man. I appreciate you having me on. Really excited to talk to you. You've got fantastic experience. I mean, you care to fill that out a bit and help us all understand kind of where you're coming from and your experience from single family to now multifamily real estate. Sure. Not a problem. I, I uh, you know, obviously you got a great show. You got a great audience. I appreciate you having me on. And, and uh, probably out of a hundred people you interviewed, very similar path, so to speak. Uh, started as a youngster. I grew up in small East Texas town. I was very fortunate to go to Texas A&M University on a baseball scholarship and learned a, a tremendous amount there. And, and I knew early on, once I got out of school, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I knew I was a real estate guy. So, you know, I think the term nowadays is house hacking. I needed a place to stay. So uh, I, uh, obviously bought a place. And at the time, I believe my payment was 700 bucks. And I had a uh, still great friend of this day, he leased uh, a room from me. And that was in 2000. And all that was happening while my girlfriend at the time, wife now was in law school. So he stayed with me for approximately three years. And my note on that place was mortgage was right at 700 bucks. So he was basically paying that entire note. And that really piqued my interest immediately. So I started scooping everything up that I could. I had perfect credit. And obviously being on scholarship, I got out of school with no debt. And I uh, just really started working the entrepreneur path and really learning. So I uh, started buying up over time and grew organically. And, and obviously, um, you know, I had to make an income to continue to buy properties. But uh, fast forward 19 years and at about the 15 year mark, I was up to 44 units and the different chapters, so to speak, in life. I was married and started a family, had two beautiful girls. And at that time, realized, you know, I'm tired of being a landlord. Uh, I didn't mind it, but I knew there was a better trajectory, a better way to scale up. And again, I'm sure you've heard the story before, but started selling off my assets and really diving in on the multifamily. And I, I learned quick. It wasn't it wasn't anything that I was on, you know, on, wasn't foreign language to me. I had several plexes and five plexes and quads. It was just add another zero and it was pretty much the same. So I knew what I was doing, but I needed to get with the right group, right people and learn. So um, that's when I started the journey of selling off my assets and really taking those funds and investing them into passive deals to be taken seriously and meet people and 
and try to bring value to their team. So that's kind of where I'm at. I still build custom homes, but I'm investing with six different sponsors at the time. I've got over 2,500 units, but for two groups, I raise capital and enjoy that as well. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of a, a long, boring bio, but uh, I wouldn't trade <laughs> Wouldn't trade it as far as uh, as self teaching and trial and error, but to get to this point, it's a lot of fun. It's been a big, big fun journey. Yeah, absolutely. And you uh, you made it through the storm of 2008 with your properties, so that is obviously to be commended. And you've grown since then and gotten into multifamily. And for the passive investors out there who are looking at syndication deals, you know, let's talk on that level a bit. What are you, from your background and with your experience now as a passive investor, what are you looking for in multifamily deals, in markets, in teams? What's your hierarchy of priorities when you're evaluating a passive opportunity to invest in? Where do you start? Yeah, I think we can all stress test the deal. And for me, I got to like the people involved because more importantly, I'm going to be with them for five years. I got to like the deal. I got to like the location. So I look at several different things, but I mean, it's a relationship business. So I want to make sure that obviously the sponsors are buttoned up and they're, uh, you know, I ask some legit questions. And and once I've asked that and, and now, you know, I've invested multiple times with them, but I want to know their background. I want to know uh, their history and, and I'm an open book as well. So once I get to clear and pass that hurdle and I know that they're good people or bad, you know, whatever it may be, I, I can make that an easy analysis and move on. So I'm looking at 200 plus units, you know, B minus something we can go in and add value and, and have a good return. And I'm obviously looking at demographics, but I'm more importantly looking at location and, and population and job growth. So I'm in the Southeast and, you know, that's, that's the beauty, kind of what we talked about earlier before the show, that's the beauty of having a group or a team, so to speak, that, you know, you, you got all these different people and they have their own, obviously, agenda and their own duties. And they're all really good at what they do. And I just think, uh, you know, back to the scalability, I couldn't do it all by myself. And I realized that not that it was too late, but I realized that after I got to kind of the bowling point, so to speak, or tipping point. So yeah, that's, you know, generally that's what I'm looking for as far as units, just good people, like-minded people. And you can ask some hard, tough questions and you should. Uh, and if they don't give you those answers, then you need to go elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's obviously a lot to unpack there. And you said, I think is something very important kind of at the beginning is when you're investing passively with a group of people, you're signing up to be in, in business with them for five years, five years plus. I mean, it could be up to 10 years depending on the deal and the structure and all that. So as far as determining whether or not you like them or how much you like them or or what have you, how much of that is a soft, you know, a gut feeling? Do you spend some time with them? And, and what are your criteria there that, for that soft feeling? And then as far as the hard facts of the matter, did it, do you look at? how many units they have in the market or how many deals they've done in the past or how many exits they have. I mean, as far as vetting the team, what's your process and what do you look at? 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. You you look at transparency. If they return your uh, emails, I'm I'm not talking the next, you know, 10 minutes, but you give them 24 hours. If they return your emails or phone calls, you know, you are the passive investor. So they have a duty to perform to you as far as being a passive investor, and that's communicate. And I think that's huge. A good communicator will be a good asset, a good part of the team. So, you know, if I first look at that, look at the um, performance and, and look at everything and look at the trajectory and also look at their past and look at what they've done and their resume. And, and generally, most of them have great resumes and have done well. I've, I've invested with a couple of newbies, I, I say, I, you know, I, I consider myself a newbie, but I've been doing it 18 years on a smaller scale. So mm-hmm. I had some pretty good returns with those guys and that I knew they knew what they were doing. But I mean, you have essentially the answers to the test when you're a passive investor, they're supposed to provide you with just about everything and there shouldn't be any hidden agendas. So you can't be afraid to ask questions. Absolutely. And that they're prompt answers to emails. I mean, that's, I think that's a big one. You know, folks are usually tempted when it comes to either, you know, the sales process or the customer service process. They're tempted to try to reinvent the wheel, but a quick and thorough or complete answer to an email goes a long way. As far as vetting deals and learning how to vet deals and locations and all that, I mean, you mentioned team, deal, location, all those things. How did you develop your criteria? What are your criteria for vetting those deals and vetting the the locations? Because you can't move the property and, and all those things when you're getting into the numbers and the deal itself beyond the team. What's your process there? You know, that come from experience, from looking at my own deals. I will never invest, my wife or I will never invest under Savoy Holdings or take anyone's money without me actually flying out to see the asset, touch it and feel it, make sure what I'm being told is accurate. And so, you know, just you start peeling the onion back and and asking these tough questions. And like I said, once you get a a feel for the sponsor and then you continue to move forward and, and you'll become more comfortable. But I've asked guys, have you ever been in prison? And if they had, then I would walk away. I mean, it's that it's black or white with me. And, and so, you know, you can ask for credit scores, you can ask for background checks, and then you can go on and, and ask for all that from all the people. And if they are hesitant, then I said, you know, before, that's a red flag to me. So, you know, it's only, it's a simple question. If they get uncomfortable and don't want to provide you the information, then I would suggest you go to the next sponsor. But uh, every time I've asked those, it's only been once, one question, one time, and then like I said, I've invested multiple times with different sponsors. And, you know, it's again, transparency is key. It's uh, huge in this business. And there's some mostly for the better part of it. It is uh, most great sponsors are great communicators as well. Hmm, interesting. That's a interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I'll definitely I'll keep that in mind as I you know, meet more of these sponsors that are out-sponsoring deals. Now, as far as making the shift from self-managing your portfolio, and for those folks out there that are considering making that shift, maybe they have a portfolio built up and they're kind of getting sick of managing it, or maybe they can 
do better elsewhere or spend less time managing their portfolio if they passively invest in syndicated deals. As far as making that shift, what was that process all like for you? I think you said you're still in the process of selling all of those properties off and shifting into syndication as you get both passive and actively into syndications. I mean, tell us about, as I, I assume you're getting sick of managing these properties, I don't feel like dealing with tenants anymore, that kind of process. What was that like? Well, it had a lot to do with my family. You know, I, my wife and I saw each other every night and that was one thing. But then when we started having a family and I had my little girls, it was very important. It, it was extremely important for me to be there and be not only a good husband, but a good dad. So I was burning the, you know, obviously the candle at both ends and my hair was on fire and I loved it. I'm a worker. I love to work, but I had to really take a step back and look. And so that process was easy. I mean, it was an easy decision. Hey, do you want to be, do you want a hundred units and self-manage them or do you want to be a good dad and, and spend some quality time with your kiddos? So obviously we have to make a living and I had a choice and I was at one of those, you know, uh, forks in the road or just chapters in life, whatever you want to call it. I, so I sold off about 22 units fairly quick and did okay. And then I left. Obviously, I kept some of my really good stuff towards the end, and it took 48 months. Uh, I have a five-plex left. It's an A-class property. It's my best unit, uh, and I still manage that. But I will tell you, it was a slippery slope. When I started shedding units and the phone rang less and less on the <laughs> tenant side, I knew I was making the right decision, and, and the, the dividend checks were coming in passively, truly passive income that I thought I had passive income when I was managing the boy, was I kidding myself. This is true passive income with multifamily investing. And I started getting those dividend checks and, and one of the units came to fruition and it was great. So I knew what my next chapter was. And with the five flex, I have five tenants left. They're great tenants, but when I see the phone ring, I just cringe. And it's funny. It's like I have this, you know, only five left, but it's like, man. So <laughs> I would imagine at some point I will, will end up selling off that property and go all in. My goal now is, as you know, goals change, Taylor. My goal now is to have 10,000 doors. And, um, you know, obviously I will never go into a deal or ask for capital for a deal that I don't put money in it myself. So I'll be a part of it and I'll be a part of, part of it passively. And if I raise capital, a general partner on the deal. So I got a lot to learn and, and that's kind of my goal as far as while I'm building houses and investing passively, as far as learning, learning the multifamily, the larger scale multifamily space. But, you know, it was an easy play for me, Taylor, back to your original question. And um, I figured I would miss it. When you're young, your ego's huge and you think, oh, I'm going to do this, this and this. And I don't miss it one bit. I, I mean, I had great tenants and I was very communication wise. You know, I held my standards, I, I, my expectations, and I, I did the same for my tenants. And I, I felt like at the end of the day, I took care of them. And, you know, it, it taught me a lot. I would not change the trajectory because I felt like I know every side of real estate investing of real estate that you can do as far as that goes. So, mm -hmm. you know, self-taught, it, it was good. Nice. So, you know, coming from your background of being in single family construction and knowing that 
whole business. Maybe you've looked into this. I'm, I'm curious, why are you buying, and I'm, I'm making a bit of an assumption here, but why are you buying cash-flowing multifamily properties and not building multifamily properties? Or why are you looking at the B to B minus go in and add value compared to pick up a plot of land and build, you know, what have you, 100, 150, 200, whatever number of units. Why aren't you doing that versus why are you going for cash flowing properties? Yeah, great question. I get asked this occasionally. And in my mind, it's much easier to start with a raw piece of dirt until you have to fill them up, Taylor, <laughs> until you have to put people in the units. And that's where the cash flow begins or ends. And when you take over a B class asset or a C plus, there's already cash flow there. And so, yes, it's easy to build. I can build a 200 unit complex in my sleep and I've got the right people to do it, but the cash flow is not there. And then you have a lot of dead time. So that's really not my arena. And I never had built, I'd built a few new single family and a few smaller plexes, but I never started from scratch, what you call real estate development wise and, and really just uh, scale. To me, there's a lot of risk involved in that, and it's not my particular space. I like the B class. I like the value add because there's so much, you know, there should be some meat on the bone there, and you have exit strategies, and you, you have different angles to different ways to make money immediately in that space. And so I will always do that. I will always buy those and be a part of those. I can't tell you if I would do new construction or not. I'll, I'll stay in my lane with the single family, but I definitely could. And I've built smaller units where it was much easier to fill up and I could, you know, obviously float. But there's so much holding cost that it just, it's a little scary for me. Mm, absolutely. Interesting. So you mentioned you go look at the properties that you're investing in, either you're bringing investors into or you're investing in yourself passively. You go look at the properties, multifamily properties. And this is a whole massive education to learn what you look for. But if we can narrow it down to a few things, I mean, you, you could talk about this, I'm sure, for weeks. You could, give, you could teach a whole course on this. But for our purposes now, what are some of the things that you look for when you go on your due diligence trips? Sure. Great question. I mean, Earlier, you asked me what you're looking for, and as I said it's a relationship business, and you'll get a gut feeling whether you like the sponsor or not. I'll get a gut feeling whether I want the property or not, or if I want to be a part of that property. I can go there. I don't tell the sponsor I'm going. I fly on my own dime or drive, look at it, touch it, feel it, see who's operating it. I know we'll change operators and property managers. But I want to see the exterior. I want to see the people. I want to see the demographics. I want to see the parking. And, you know, I know what you can turn around because I've done it. I've seen it. And if it's in too bad of shape, I won't go that direction. And I want to look and see the vibe, see if the people there, if it's a positive atmosphere where there's potential. You know, if I pull up and see nothing but cop cars and people getting arrested and a bunch of crackheads and I'm out and I'll get back on the plane or in the car and leave. And I've done it. 
So sorry, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but that's just, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going with that, but I like to see the construction and see, I feel like I've got knowledge and a knowledge base in that to look at something. And, and I already see the performers. I see what they're allocating. I see what the sponsors are wanting to spend on the upgrades. And, and I, I know if it's doable or not. And that's what I'm feel like I'm bringing to the table and I'm good at. And I don't think I've ever told any of them I've went to the property and I will always do that. And whether it's my money or, or it'll always be my money, but if I'm raising capital, I think it's in my best interest and my due diligence to go and look at the actual and touch it and feel it. Like I said. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, as you drive the neighborhoods, I mean, do you look up comparable properties? I mean, a lot of times you'll get an OM or whatever, and it'll have a couple of similar properties in there, you know, rent comps or whatever. Do you drive those as well to get a feel for them? Do you look around the area? How much time are you budgeting? You know, is this like a go there on a Saturday and spend an hour or two in the area, then bounce? Or, you know, what's your time commitment when you go to do this usually? I'll generally get in and I'll spend an hour on the property just walking. Maybe I can walk it, you know, in less time. And then I'll just drive around the areas. I've walked around areas and I, you know, I try to stay within, you know, a 10 mile radius and just see what stores are there, see what's moving in, see if there's any new construction and you can get a good feel. You know, you, it's just, it's no different from your significant other or whomever, your partner in life. If you guys are out looking for a, a neighborhood to potentially buy in to live there. I mean, it's, it's that simple. And I, I want to buy where. I feel like we can bring value to the families moving in and I don't want to buy anything that I would not want my family living in. So it's that simple with, you know, back to the keep it simple, stupid, or uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> if I do not want to live there, then I damn sure don't want to invest there. So I try to, I try to keep that format and that in the back of my mind when I'm looking at things. And I've, like I said, I've, I looked at deals and, and left I, and that's, I've drove up to a unit and said, I'm out and left and didn't invest in it. And, you know, I don't look back and I, maybe that property did well. I never ask about it. And it's just kind of one of those things. And to me, it's that simple. It's like selling off my units. I hope the next buyer does great with them. I was ready to punt. I was ready to move on. And um, so you just can't look back. I mean, that's my decision. And yeah, I mean, there's some strategy to it, but I try to use common sense. That's something we all need more of. Nice. I like it. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Okay. So I've got three questions I ask at the end of the show. Let's get right into those. Chad, what is the best investment you've ever made? Uh, my wife, if that counts. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, dual income. So proud of her. She's corporate counsel, in-house attorney. But, you know, we've made great investments together and bad investments together. But I would say other than her and invest in my family, I'm learning to invest in myself. I would say that I bought a fiveplex C property and I really, really felt encouraged about it. I thought great things that could I, I could do to it. And it had potential. I came in and uh, completely fixed it up. Took me about a year to get everything scanned and, and inside, outside, get tenants back, placed back, 
get them placement back then. As far as numbers, I, you know, I came in and bought it for, I think 180 and I ended up getting a phone call. I was going to keep it, but this was before I started going down the path and the journey of selling off assets. I think I sold it for 330. Nice. And that was a nice place, so to speak. And, um, you know, I would say as far as best investment, that would probably be the current one that I actually hit it out of the park. But uh, I try to hit singles and doubles. You know that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Try to knock it out of the park all the time. It's not going to work as much as you'd you'd like to think. You'll get like, burned. I'm sorry. That might not ever happen again. But the ROI on that was it was tremendous. But I just. I was pretty humble about it and we just kept our head down and worked. And I think maybe I took my wife out to dinner and we, uh, pierced <laughs> and, uh, and moved on. Nice. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. Another great question. Um, I'll try to keep this brief. Let's see. I bought several lots in the neighborhood and was building out some spec houses, some affordable housing. And I realized that that right there, the affordable housing market, when the market turns, that financing dries up. So I think I built six houses in that area and I left the last cul-de-sac lot for last, built a very nice home and the economy turned. Obviously, 0809 Texas didn't get hit all that hard, but the lending dried up. So I was already in framing stage. I finished it out. And I ended up buying it back, I mean, out of the construction interim. So I turned it into a permanent loan. And I never will forget it was a mistake because I saw all the signs. But this is what I tell people. You got to have a rainy day fund. And I had that. And I put it in my business. I put it in my company. And I already been a landlord. So I knew what to do there. I wasn't exactly thrilled about leasing out a brand new home. But I had to do what I had to do. And had a great relationship with the bank. I took it out of the construction loan. And I think at the time, uh, they ended up giving me a $50,000 line of credit that grew over to a hundred. And now fast forward 15 years later, I'm still with that bank back to relationships, Taylor. What I said, it's a million dollar line of credit that I have with that bank. And, uh, nice. it all started with that one mistake, but. You got to be careful. You got to look at your surroundings and know the market, but also have many, many, many exit strategies as well. Nice. And then my favorite question, you might have already answered it, but we'll, we'll ask it anyway. What is the most important lesson you learned in investing? Wow. You know, there's a lot. And, you know, your conscience grows as you get older. And, and I mean, shoot, I've learned to listen especially at home with my wife, you learn to listen and you learn to be a team player. And, um, you know, I've had partnerships and I'm getting better at having partnerships and learning to delegate. And, you know, I learn every day. If you think you know everything, then you're in big, big trouble. So I would say <laughs> the biggest, you know, currently the biggest learning curve for me is, is to surround myself around like-minded people, but surround yourself with smarter people. And I've said this before on a podcast, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you need to find a new room or not find new friends. So I would say just continue to grow and develop and be around, you know, like-minded people, educate yourself, listen to podcasts like, you know, like yours. I'm appreciative that they're out there. I've learned so much, 
you know, it's organic what you guys do. It's podcast. They're real. Uh, you guys aren't selling anything. And I wish they had this 20 years ago when I first started out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of, you know, I make a podcast and I listen to podcasts. It's, it's so much better than listening to the radio, hearing the same Eagles song you've heard a thousand times that they've been playing for 40 years. Enough, guys. Let's build our minds here. You know, I like the Eagles just fine, but enough's enough. Yeah, so, funny, uh, real, real quick, funny story. We get in the car and my wife is, she's got the radio on or when she gets in mine and I listen to a podcast and we got the kids and she's like, really, can we listen to music? And, I, and it's funny, I have to really like balance that because I feel like listening to music is a big waste of time. So I'm not really learning anything. So uh, I either like quiet time or podcast, but you know, work-life balance there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with music entirely, but uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So what's up next for you and where can folks get in touch with you? You know, I'm, I was taught to be humble and, and real and not much impresses me, especially the glitz and glamour. I don't care about any of that, but I like to stay in my lane and continue to do what I'm good at. And I'm going to continue building houses and, and custom homes in my local area. I love that. I'm passionate about it. You know, I'm sitting in one I just built and it's been published a few times. It's a mid-century modern home and, and I'm a, I really, really love architecture. So I'll continue to do that and raising my family and continue to invest passively. I mentioned my goal early was to get up to 10,000 doors and continue to learn the, the multifamily craft and the space and really educate myself even furthermore and not stop. And uh, I really need to get better at, at, you know, networking and learning and meeting people in this industry. But uh, I, I'm interested in staying in my lane and continue to build homes and using those funds to invest passively. And, and uh, that's kind of on the horizon and what I see in the future and keeping it simple for me. Nice. Well, for folks that are not watching the video, the home that you're in is definitely very nice looking. I like it. I think anybody would be happy to live there. I'm a minimalist, so it's a it's a mid-century modern home. So it's my master bedroom. So that's probably what you're seeing. But on either side of the fireplace, my wife and I have a desk. So I didn't want to waste a whole nother room. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned earlier where you can get a hold of me. My company is Savoy Companies, and it's uh, SavoyCompanies.com. That's S-A-V-O-Y-C-O-M-P-A-N-I-E-S.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Chad J. Hudson, and then I am. Uh, taking the journey down the rabbit hole and trying to get more involved in social media. So I'm on Instagram, Chad J. Hudson. Nice. Nice. Instagram's a good one. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'd certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, anybody that wants to learn more about any of the topics we talked about can check out your website. There's going to be a link in the show notes or you can rewind and, uh, and punch in their address bar. But uh, thanks for listening to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Chad, thank you for joining us today. Certainly appreciate all the lessons, all the experience you brought to the table today. And uh, I hope you all have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you on the next one. Thanks, Taylor. 